You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Today's reading is from Romans 13 verses 8 to 14. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, brothers and sisters, it's good to be together again for online church. I wish I could be with you in person. Uh, there's an outline of my sermon on the welcome card, if you, if you find that helpful. Uh, let's pray as we come to God's word. Let's pray. My gracious Father, we pray that this day you, you would help us to understand more clearly uh, just what it looks like to relate rightly to the world around us. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think as Christians, it's often really quite hard to know how to relate rightly to the world around us. Oh, I don't know about you, maybe you feel inclined to avoid the world around you, just to kind of retreat into a kind of holy huddle and do all you can to, to minimise contact with the world. Others feel inclined to attack the world, right? Well, whether in word or deed, you really make it your aim to confront the world at every opportunity. Others feel inclined to assimilate with the world. You know, it's just easier to, to become exactly the same as the world, to, to just go with the flow of culture. But as Christians, it's really quite hard to know how to relate rightly to the world around us. Right? But because as we'll see in today's passage, relating rightly to the world uh, is, a, is quite complex. It's a quite nuanced thing. Right? But because relating rightly to the world... That means we should love the people of the world, but reject the pattern of the world. I'll say that again. Relating rightly to the world means we should love the people of the world, but reject the pattern of the world. So first, let's look at verses 8 to 10 in this passage, where we see that relating rightly to the world means we should love the people of the world. In the first part of verse 8, uh, look, at, look at the first part of verse 8, Paul says, Let no debt remain outstanding. Now, of course, in saying that, Paul's continuing the theme that he raised in verse 7, right? the theme of giving people what we owe them. 
Right there, he was talking about uh, what we owe the governing authorities. You can see it there, taxes, revenue, respect, honour. Uh, here, he's talking about what we owe every human being. Right, so he starts by, by saying, let no debt remain outstanding. Literally, owe no one anything. Uh, looking back, he's referring to owing nothing to governing authorities. But right, if you owe taxes, pay them. You know, if you owe them respect, give respect. If you owe honour, give honour. Let no debt remain outstanding. Of course, this command doesn't mean that, that a Christian's never allowed to be in financial debt to someone. A lot like getting a mortgage for a house or a loan for a car or a more personal loan from a friend. It's fine to owe people money. But this verse does mean that as Christians, we should be committed to repaying our debts in a timely way, right? not try to dodge our obligations. And of course, if you do that, there'll be lots of debts that you eventually no longer owe. Right? But here Paul says, there's one debt that you will always owe. Right? Look at verse 8 again. Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, or literally just to love others, right? to, to love all those around you in the world, which obviously doesn't exclude your brothers and sisters in Christ, but, but it also includes every human being you come across. Right? Well, we're to love the people of this world because that's what we owe them. That's what Paul says. And not just people in general. Of course, there are some people who would say, oh, of course I love the people of the world. You know, the love and peace to everyone. No, no, this is a command to show real love to the real people that God has placed in your life. Right? You owe this love to your parents, to your husband or wife, to your children, to your housemate. You owe this love to the crossing lady, to the, the governing authorities, to the frustrating work colleague, to the person begging by the path, to your brothers or sisters in Christ. You owe this love to the person of a different race or religion or sexuality or a, a different political persuasion. Right? You owe this love to everyone right? because every person is a precious creation in the image of God and therefore you owe them love. See, I'm sure if you owe someone money, it's like every time you see them, you think, that's right. You know, I'm in debt to that person. I owe them money. Paul's saying every time you see another human being, you should say that to yourself. You should think to yourself, that's right. I'm in debt to that person. I owe them love. I think this is pretty hard for lots of us to get our heads around. Right? Because often we enter relationships thinking, I don't owe you anything. You know, you want my respect, we'll earn it. You want my honour, we'll earn it. You want my love, well, you better earn it. Paul says people shouldn't have to earn your love. Right? You owe them love. Right? Simply because they're made in the image of God and they are your neighbour in this world. So in the rest of verse 8, Paul says, For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 
So we should love the people of this world, not just because that's what we owe them, but also because it's what our God wants. We feel our God's law when we love others. And when Paul refers to God's law here, it's pretty clear that he's thinking primarily of the Ten Commandments. That's what follows in verse 9. You might remember that the Ten Commandments basically fall into two different sections. The first four commandments are about our vertical relationship with God. Not worshipping other gods, not making any other idols, not taking the Lord's name in vain, and remembering the Lord on the Sabbath. But the next six commandments are to do with our horizontal relationships with others. Paul lists some of those commandments in verse 9. You might also remember that in the Gospels, Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. That's the verse that Paul quotes in verse 9 about loving our neighbor. So in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, Jesus says the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbour as you love yourself. Indeed, Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the law is fulfilled by loving God and loving others. Of course, in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul's already urged us to respond to God's loving mercy to us in Christ by offering our whole life to him. You could say by loving him, right, with our heart and soul and mind. So here Paul's challenging us with regard to our love for others. In fact, that's really been Paul's focus since chapter 12, verse 9, when he said, let your love be sincere. It's this sincere love for God and others that fulfills, Paul says, the righteous requirements of God's law. Of the requirements that we know were perfectly fulfilled by Jesus, right, in our place. Right? But Romans 8 verses 1 to 4 tells us that by the power of God's Spirit, we're also called to fulfill God's law, right? to live in line with God's law. Of course, we're not going to do that perfectly. We know that. That's what Christ alone did. But we are called to give our lives to loving God and loving others. But what does it look like to love others? Or take another look at verse 9. You'll see there in verse 9 that in Paul's mind, the command to love others doesn't replace the other commandments. He says it sums up the commandments. It focuses the commandments. Because the commandments help us to answer the question, what does it look like to love my neighbour? So it's just taking the, the, the first commandment, Paul's, uh, the, sorry, uh, the first commandment that's listed in verse 9, that is. Uh, Paul says, uh, well, loving your neighbour looks like not committing adultery with their husband or wife. You might say, but, well, but oh, I really love their husband or wife. Surely that this command to love means we should be together. Well, uh, as far as God's concerned, that's not real love. Right? It breaks one of his commandments. And remember, in Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said, 
Uh, you've, heard it, uh, you've heard that it was said, uh, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. By putting it bluntly, we love our neighbour not just by not having sex with their husband or wife, uh, but by not lusting after their husband or wife in our heart. I take another commandment, right? Paul says, you shall not murder. Yeah, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? You're not really fulfilling your obligation to love your neighbour if you're killing your neighbour. That's clearly incompatible, right? But once again, well, we've got to remember Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. And Jesus says there, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You see, Jesus is saying that we love others, and not just by not murdering them, but by not harbouring anger and rage and malicious contempt towards them in our hearts. Another commandment says, you shall not steal. Now, once again, that's pretty clear. Right? You're not loving someone else if you're stealing what rightly belongs to them. Now, I suspect that not many of us are tempted to steal physical items from others. You know, their car, their, their cricket bat, their, their, their dog, right? But in this digital age, we might be tempted to steal other things. You know, to, to steal the royalties that, that rightly belong to a musician by not paying for their music, or, or to steal the, the credit that, that rightly belongs to an author by not acknowledging their words, or to steal the money that rightly belongs to actors by not paying for their movies. It's not loving others to steal from others. And on top of that, in Ephesians 4 verses, uh, verse 28, Paul says... Uh, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, uh, but, uh, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Right, so, so loving others doesn't simply mean not using your hands to steal their stuff. It means using your hands so you can make enough money to share your stuff. That's love. And well, which leads to the other command Paul lists, you shall not covet. Well, you can't love someone if you're constantly eyeing off their things, coveting their things. That breeds jealousy and envy in your heart. And not love. Essentially, as Paul says in verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbour. Indeed, love demands that you do good to your neighbour. You remember this, Jesus taught this in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's not loving someone to, to walk past, it's not loving to, to walk past your neighbour who's in need and simply say, well, I've done no further harm to them. But it's loving to draw near to your neighbour who's in need and actually do good to them. Why? Well, because you know that that's what you owe them. And you know that that's what your God wants. But relating rightly to the world means we should love the people in this world. But secondly, in verses 11 to 14, we see that relating rightly to the world means that we should reject the pattern of the world. 
Uh, Paul began this section back in chapter 12, verse 2, saying, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's worth noting as we come to chapter 13, verse 11, uh, that when Paul said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, the the word world there uh, should probably be translated as age. So so Paul's saying that that as Christians, we're not to be conformed to the prevailing patterns of thinking and feeling and living of this present age in which we live. So with that in mind, we come to to chapter 13, verse 11, where Paul says, and do this. What's he saying? He's saying, respond to your experience of God's love for you in Christ by giving yourself to this life of loving God and loving others, right? the, the life he's been unpacking since chapter 12, verse 1. Right? Do this, Paul says, understanding the present time. Now, maybe you've heard before that, that in Greek that there are two main words for time. And there's the word chronos, which is like time by the clock, where we, where we get our word chronology. And then there's the word kairos, which is really about the significance of time. When Paul says understanding the present time, he's using that second word, right? the word kairos. He's saying give yourself to this life of love, understanding the significance of this present time. Oh, what's that significance? Oh, well, Paul answers that in the second half of verse 11 and the first part of verse 12. Firstly, he says, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Of course, when someone wakes up from their sleep in the morning, they might ask, what time is it? And in answering that, you you might tell them the time on the clock. You know, it's 7am, or if it's my kids, much earlier than that. Uh, uh, Or you might just say, well, it's time to get up. That's the significance of the time. That's what Paul's saying here, right? He's saying the hour has already come for you to wake up, right? Why? Because in Christ, a new day has dawned. He reiterates that in verse 12. Look at verse 12. He says there, the night is already over. The day is almost here. When Paul uses this image of the day being almost here, he's drawing on a rich theme from the Old Testament, right? The theme of the day of the Lord. So the day that's almost here that Paul's referring to is the moment in history when the Lord Jesus Christ will return to finally set all things right in his world, to save his people, to defeat his enemies and to restore his entire world. That's the day that we're looking forward to. But Paul's also saying that in the life, death and resurrection of Christ, that the light of that day has sort of already broken into the darkness of this world. So now as Christians, we live in the kind of crossover of these two ages. This present age, which is characterised by night and darkness, and the future age, which is characterised by day and light. So here Paul's saying that don't forget that because of your faith in Christ, you belong to the new age. The new age that's characterised by day, not night, by light, not darkness. 
And we see the same thing in Colossians 1, verses 12 and 13. Right? Paul says there uh, that we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and qualified to share in the inheritance of God's holy people in the kingdom of light. Right? You see, through faith in Christ, we belong to the kingdom of light, not darkness. Right? We belong to the new age. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. That's the day of Christ's return. No, you are all children of the light and children of the day, Paul says. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Well, you see what Paul's saying? He's saying we should reject that the prevailing patterns of thinking and feeling and living are of this present age first because the new age has come and we belong to that age. And second, because we know that Christ our Lord could return at any moment to bring in the fullness of that age. Look at the second half of verse 11. Paul's explaining why it's time for us to wake up as Christians. And he says, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Which is not to say that we're not already saved if we've put our faith in Christ, but it is to say that we're not fully saved. Remember, because we're still living in this present age that's full of evil and suffering and grief. But we know that the Christ could return at any moment to save us from this present age. And so we must be spiritually awake, Paul says. But if you're a somewhat sleepy Christian today, right? And maybe you've gone into hibernation during, during COVID-19. Well, now is the time to wake up. Now rub your eyes, wash your face, stretch your legs, wake up. Right now is not the time to be walking around half asleep being conformed to the patterns of this age. You don't belong to this age. And Christ your Saviour could return at any moment to bring in the fullness of the new age. So what does it look like for us to wake up? as Christians, to live as children of this new age. Three things. First, in the second half of verse 12, Paul says well, we've got to put off works of darkness and put on weapons of light. Look there, Paul says, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness, literally the works of darkness, and put on the armour or maybe the weapons of light. So if you want to live as a child of the day, you've got to put off works of darkness. Not kind of gently setting them aside, you know, but aggressively throwing them off. That's that's the word Paul's using here. And now, of course, in this section of Romans, we've seen that we've got a whole lot of dark patterns of thinking that need to be renewed and dark patterns of feeling that need to be reordered. Right, but here Paul's particularly focused on our patterns of living, you know, our behaviour, our, our works. What are you saying? You actually have to live differently. Live like you belong to the light. Right, put off works of darkness. I mean, imagine if you went to work in a particular set of clothes one day and they just got incredibly dirty. 
You know, you rode to work, you went through a puddle, got mud splashes up the pants, you had a morning coffee and you spilt it down your shirt, you got home at the end of the day and you were giving the, the baby a hug and it vomited down your back. You know, it just, it just was not a good day for that set of clothes. But you don't see a problem. You go to bed in those clothes and then you get up when the new day dawns and you walk out the door in those clothes. And Paul says, well, we can't be like that spiritually. But in Christ, you belong to the light, the new day. So you've got to put off your dirty clothes. Or you've got to put off your works of darkness. And you've got to put on weapons of light. And put on, Paul says, the armour or maybe the weapons of light. Or whether you think it's weapon or armour, whatever it is, it's clear that Paul's using a battle metaphor here. Not a physical battle, but a spiritual battle. A battle to, to stand firm in the light of God's kingdom. Right, by putting off your dark works and putting on your light works. But, but also a battle to extend the light of God's kingdom. Because in Matthew 5, verse 14, Jesus says to his disciples, you guys are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We reject the patterns of the world by putting off works of darkness and putting on weapons of light. Second, we reject the pattern of the world by living as one who belongs to the day, not the night. Look in verse 13. In verse 13, Paul says, uh, Let us behave decently, uh, as in the daytime, and not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Right, Paul's saying you, you've got to behave like someone who belongs to the day, in a way that is decent. Anyway, in saying that, Paul's not talking about a kind of facade of moral decency. You know, some people say, oh, back in my day, people, people used to have decent morals, you know, proper morals. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that, that you know that by God's amazing grace, you belong to the new age of light. Right, so that now you've got to live in a way that shows that, and live in a way that's fitting for that. Right, not like, it's not like someone who belongs to the night. Or whether that be the behaviour of a typically rebellious person who belongs to the night. Carousing, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, or all uh, things which tend to happen when pleasure-seeking is just out of control. Or it could be the behaviours of a typical religious person who belongs to the night. Dissensions, jealousy. A behaviour that are sadly way too common amongst religious people in the church. Where often pride is running out of control. And whatever your tendency, Paul's exhortation is because of Christ's work, you belong to the day, so live like you belong to the day. But how? How do, how do we actually change the way we live? Well, that's where verse 14 comes in. Paul tells us in verse 14 that we can reject the pattern of the world by constantly considering Christ and so never considering our flesh. 
Verse 14, rather, Paul says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Of course, if you've put your faith in Christ, you're already united with Christ. right? And one of the pictures of that union in the New Testament is that you are clothed with Christ. Right? But, but what Paul's saying here is that as you battle against all your sinful desires, it's like you've got to put on Christ afresh, like putting on a new set of clothes. And I want to suggest that you do that by constantly considering Christ, by filling your heart and mind with the wonders of who Christ is and what he's done. The Son of God who gave his life for you on the cross, that you might be rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. But I think as you constantly make time to consider Christ like that, your heart will be so full of love for him, you'll be enveloped with him, you'll be clothed in him, that you won't even consider how to gratify the desires of your flesh. At least nowhere near as well. Right, we can reject the patterns of the world by constantly considering Christ and never considering our flesh. As Christians, it really is quite hard to know how to relate rightly to the world around us. But today's passage does give us some clarity, doesn't it? It shows us that relating rightly to the world means we should love the precious people of this world. They're not trying to avoid them. They're not trying to attack them. But on the other hand, relating rightly to the world means we should reject the prevailing patterns of this world. Not just assimilating with them. So let's pray together that God would give us the grace to do that. Uh, would you pray with me? Oh, our gracious Father, uh, we thank you for this, your word. Uh, we pray that by the power of your spirit, uh, you would help us to relate rightly to those around us in the world, uh, to love the precious people of this world, uh, but to reject the prevailing patterns of this world. Uh, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.